This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers getting ready for a trip to Bloomington, Indiana for the first time since 2017. In a tie for first place in the Big Ten West. Indiana, Jesse, has uh, lost four straight, but according to Luke Fickle, they're playing with some more uh, confidence, have some momentum going since they fired their offensive coordinator. What do you think about that? I don't know if I agree entirely, <laughs> but they put up a game against Penn State, and it's baby steps when you're a team that's not performing all that well. And playing for your coach's job, because I think uh, Tom Allen could very well be one of those guys on the way out. The only thing saving him right now is that deal that he got after the 2020 season that uh, his buyout is quite large. So maybe they'll maybe they'll uh, keep him around and maybe he can turn it around. He is one of the more fiery, animated coaches in the Big Ten. We'll talk about Indiana a little bit more on Temple and Heilprint tomorrow night, live at Monks in some prairie from 6 to 7. Come out, see us. Sign up to win a gift certificate from Home Field. It's twenty five bucks. Stop out. All you have to do is, you know, all you have to do is stop out. We'll do a little uh, code on your phone and um, a QR code on your phone, and you're entered. So really easy stuff to do. Well, we'll be there from six to seven. Talk a little bit more Indiana. Get our week. Is it week ten already? Week nine? I don't know. Irrelevant. Another good week for Jesse. Not so good for Zach, which is fine. That's fine. I'm okay. I still got time here. We still got another month of the season to catch up. Going to be picking against you quite a bit here down the stretch, Jesse. Um, all right. So not a ton to to get to from what Luke Fickle had to say on, on Saturday, but what kind of response do you, ex- uh, excuse me, what he had to say on Monday about Saturday? What do you, what kind of response do you expect from this team? I mean, uh, coming off a night game, Against Ohio State, the number three team in the country, you put up a fight, you're into the fourth quarter, and now you go to sleepy Bloomington at 11 a.m. to face a team that's lost four straight. What kind of response do you expect from this group? I actually think it's going to be a great response. And you could say sleepy Bloomington, 11 a.m. game, bring your own juice, all that stuff. But they played pretty well against what is now the number one team in the country based on the college football playoff rankings coming out. So I think that said a lot about the fight that the group has. Now you can debate the level of execution, but they've got a month left in their regular season and just as good of an opportunity as anybody else to actually win the division, despite having some bumps in the road to this point. It's a four-way tie in the Big Ten West. Nobody is uh, particularly good this year, but they've got a chance. So I I actually think they're going to come out and, and play pretty well, but It always comes down to the execution, and I think offensively there are bigger questions, clearly, than there are defensively because the defense, the the stats aren't there, right? They're not an elite-level defense, but they have done some really good things. Offensively, we have questions about who's even going to be available because Luke Fickle did not provide much of an update at all about the status of Chimray, DK, and Braylon Allen, who both were hurt against Ohio State, kind of said, we'll see what happens throughout the week. You're going to need those guys in particular Braylon Allen, to be able to perform well down the stretch. Yeah, so it might have been a little bit of a slip of the tongue from Braden Locke on Tuesday afternoon when he met with the media. He was being asked about the running backs, and he said, yeah, without Braylon, you have to, you know, I don't know if we're going to have him or not. But so there was a there was a little bit of that. Um, I don't know. It feels like a long shot. 
just based on the way that uh, he was walking around Saturday night. But I guess a lot can happen between uh, in seven days, six days, seven days. We'll see. Without him, though, Jackson Aker, Kade Iacomelli, what do they provide? I mean, I, I here, I know maybe we talked about this a little bit the other day uh, in, in not having Ches Malusia. I, I don't. I think that has been uh, would is the bigger loss between. I, Look, I like Braylon Allen. I think he's a very good back. I think he's a powerful runner and has uh, improved certainly as a pass protector. There was a play on Saturday night where he stepped up on the third down to Will Pauling uh, that uh, was crosser on, on that drive right before halftime and just put the guy, you know, killed the, the safety that was coming on the blitz. So he's improved a ton there, but he's not the explosive, explosive back that Chess Malusi is, and they don't have a replacement for that. So now... They lose Braylon Allen. I think Jackson Aker can fill that role, but what does Katie Iacomelli bring? What does, I guess, maybe Grover Bordelotti bring if, if that's the way it is? And then, obviously, Nate White. I know a lot of people are wondering about him as well. Well, with Jackson, he does have a lot of the, the attributes in terms of the power running back, a guy who can lower his shoulder and push the pile forward. But he's really only had one game where you went, oh, okay, you know, like that's – that's really impressive, and that'll give you something extra. And it's, it's the Rutgers game. He had 13 carries for 65 yards, had a couple catches. There hasn't been any other game this season where he's averaged more than four yards a carry. And I know it's a small sample size in a lot of these instances. He had two carries against Illinois, three against Iowa, four against Buffalo and Georgia Southern. The Ohio State game is a bit of an outlier just because of how good that defense is, but he carried nine times for 34 yards. That's 3.8 yards per carry. He did catch five passes, so they're going to lean on him significantly if they don't have Braylon, because after that, it's even more unproven, guys. We only got to see Cade Iacomelli for that one carry against Ohio State where the play got blown up and he lost four yards. Now, Cade has said what, what he thinks he can provide is some of that athleticism and versatility. He believes he can be more of a threat as a pass catcher. He did play some wide receiver in high school. I don't know what the balance looks like. I don't know if this is a game where, like we've seen with Braylon, you just put it on one guy's shoulders. Jackson hasn't been in that role before, but you've got to be very confident in what you have with Iacomelli. I think it would be a stretch to believe that we're going to see Nate White, um, although Luke Fickle did say, and he wasn't talking specifically about Nate, he was talking about freshmen in general. They've reached a point in the regular season where you can retain your redshirt and play in four games, and he said that perhaps there will be some younger guys although he was largely referring to special teams that could contribute. I, I think it's largely Jackson, maybe a little bit of Cade. I don't know whether we'd see Grover Bortolotti. He has played before, but it's it's got to be one of the biggest questions for the success of this team in the last four regular season games. You go into the season thinking you've got arguably the best one-two running back tandem in the country. You, you definitely don't have one in Chez. You may not have Braylon. And so... I, I don't know. I mean, do you put more on on Braden Locke's plate or do you just roll the dice and hope you've got the blocking up front and just enough playmaking ability to squeeze it out in the run game? A couple of questions that came to mind when we were when you're breaking that all down there. One. Has Braylon Allen done enough to this point to leave after this year? That is a really good question, and one I've certainly heard more of here in recent weeks. I I think there are different ways to look at this. I think the biggest question that most people would have to have 
is the injury history that every year he has played here, he has gotten hurt. And some of those are, I mean, right. Like you, if you get blown up on a shovel pass at the goal line, you can't control whether you get hurt or not in those situations, but durability, as they say, his availability is the best ability. He's played a lot, but he's dealt with a lot of injuries. I mean, cumulatively, the stats are pretty solid. He's got 3,000 plus yards as a in his career at Wisconsin. He hasn't had an all-American, all-world type of season. And I do think he showed a little bit more versatility this year, certainly as a pass catcher. I mean, he's got 24 receptions this year, even though they're only averaging four yards a game. So he's done some good things. I just don't know what NFL personnel will see when they evaluate him relative to other running backs that would be in his draft class and just his overall value to an NFL team at this point. So it it doesn't feel like the slam dunk that we kind of thought it was going to be going into the year. On the other hand, Braylon's whole plan was for this to be his last year and go to the NFL. So it may not matter. Yeah. I I think he's, yeah, look, I don't, this is kind of, it's not necessary necessarily Corey Clement because he had a lot different situation certainly than what uh, Braylon is dealing with um he was he missed much of the year because of that that um what was it the uh, the sports hernia that he went to Germany yeah. to get fixed and obviously had the off the field situation at the end of the year but we, I remember talking to him he's like yeah it was always when I got here three years and I'm gone that's what I'm that's what's going to happen here and then you know stuff happens stuff pops up and this is this is what it is. And he had to come back and he rushed for a thousand yards as a senior. And he, again, he was in a different situation than, than Braylon because he was not the lead back as a freshman or a sophomore. It was going to be ju- his junior year. He was going to be the guy. He sat behind James White, Melvin Gordon, in his freshman year. He sat behind Melvin Gordon, his second year, and was kind of dinged up uh, to the point where uh, Dario Gumbawale had to come over and play running back, which turned out pretty well for him. And then Obviously, his junior year was going to be him, and he gets hurt, and he's he's unable to take part in most of the season. So, yeah, those uh, those are different situations, but kind of the same mindset. And things pop up, and you have to adjust. But I don't I don't know what the value of wh- where his value is, is at football. Why I should say uh, draft wise for NFL scouts. I don't I I don't know that. Like the injury history certainly has to uh, be prevalent and how exactly fast is he going to run? I know that shouldn't matter a ton, but it does, especially for a guy, his size. So it's a, it's an interesting question. The other question that popped up out of your breakdown was the young guys that could potentially see playing time. Who are you thinking? And again, I know he was me mostly talking about special teams, but are there a guy or two that stands out that may see more time on offense and defense. I, I talked to young Tretch Kakahuna yesterday just while he was waiting to be interviewed and was asking him like how things were going for him. And he, cause he feels like a guy that could potentially be one of those people that, that sees time. Um, I did ask him about, we, I mean, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago uh, about the running back him playing running back at St. Louis, which he did. And I asked if he had, you know, is there a possibility he could see some running back reps this year? And he said, I mentioned it to, uh, to Devin Spaulding, but uh, he told me to not yet, not yet. So uh, no, nothing there yet for uh, Tretch, at least at running back, but certainly getting some time in the slot, you feel like is maybe a possibility. Especially considering the drops we've seen and just, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. passing game, the wide receivers in particular, other than Will Pauling, who would you say has been a consistent standout? There have been 
moments of brilliance, definitely from uh, Bryson Green early in that game against Ohio State. But it's almost like, look, throw what you can at the wall and see what sticks. If you've got someone who's standing out in practice, and again, we haven't seen practice since the middle of August, back when Trech was dealing with an injury, then maybe you give him a shot. I think someone like a Christian Allegro, because we've actually seen him on the field, even if it was only for a few plays, he comes in and, and makes a big play, even as Luke Fickle said, maybe he didn't necessarily know what he was supposed to be doing. He's got that skill set. Beyond that, it's it's pretty difficult to say out of these true freshmen who who could potentially play. I mean, we talked about Nate White. I I think he needs some time. He's just yeah. uh the, the athleticism, no doubt about it. We we got to see a glimpse of it in practice. And I actually think it was after Grover Bordelotti got hurt. So Nate all of a sudden started taking some reps with the threes. And Ches may have been out at that time too. I can't remember, but um, Ches was hurt for about a week and broke off a couple just big time plays, evading a, a would-be tackle in the backfield. And then I think he had like a 40-yard touchdown run. So you see the talent, but a year in the weight room would certainly do him good. I don't know about the rest of these guys. Like I Maybe. think they, we would have seen some of them at some point, but Jonas DeClona. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say. On the other hand, if you do that, are you going to take if Ricardo Hallman out? I mean, he's been so good. He's second in the tie for second in the country and leads the big 10 with five interceptions. And on the other side, we know they like Nizer Forkering when they take Alexander Smith out, but those are some of the guys that I would, I think could play. Yeah. I feel like, Jonas is, is certainly a possibility. Maybe uh, did you you mention Christian Allegro? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that was another one that certainly feels like a possibility because of what he did at the end of the Illinois game, kind of just getting thrown into the mix. That there are not a ton of them, at least true freshman wise. Now, not necessarily. Now he also he didn't necessarily say true freshman. He said young players. So I guess yeah. it could be a possibility where it's redshirt freshman. Even though I know he did mention the the, the scholarship thing in terms of. Uh, the, the four games, but th- there are interesting pieces, but the places where they could use guys specifically at, at running back, they just don't have guys that are ready. Um, you know what I mean? Like uh, Nate White's not ready and he's the only true freshman in this position. They don't uh, at the outside wide receiver spots, like who, who would be out there? Nobody, right? Like there's, there's, there's young guys there like a Tommy McIntosh or Chris Brooks jr. But Chris Brooks still hurt. And I mean, he's still, uh, not dressing. And then you have Tommy McIntosh, who we haven't seen because he got hurt earlier in the year too. So those those are places where you could see, you would potentially see guys step up at tight end. You're already seeing the true freshman in um, in Tucker Ashcraft. And there's nobody else there at this point to be able to throw on the field. So I don't know where the young guys would come from. That's the problem on uh, offense. <laughs> on the outside, the one who comes to mind is Quincy Burroughs, and maybe he's not necessarily thought of a, as a young guy, but he is a redshirt sure. freshman, and, yeah. and Fickle actually mentioned him by name. I looked. I think he maybe played three snaps or something like that. He's got potential. I like what he could he could bring, and, and that is somebody, especially because we, as we're having this conversation, don't know where Chimray DK is at in his recovery, even though he was trying to shake it off and, and jog on the sideline. Burroughs is a guy, but at tight end, I, of all the positions, tight end, I think, well, run, running back too, but but tight yeah. end is one where it just feels like, man, they are, they're really hurting because of how much Phil Longo would like to utilize that position and how much he did when he had three great tight ends at North Carolina. Um, you asked me how many snaps Hayden Rucci played in that game against Ohio State, and while pro football focus 
doesn't get it right every time they listed him was no offensive snaps. Riley Nowakowski played the bulk of them. And then you had a little bit from Tucker Ashcraft. They didn't get anything offensively out of the tight ends. They, they, so when you don't have that, when you, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get out of your running backs, it makes it awfully difficult. I would say if yes, big 10 West totally mediocre as mediocre as it's ever been, which is saying something. Having said that, if Wisconsin manages to win the West somehow, it would be quite a feat in in this season, given where they are hurting at some of these key positions, especially on offense. Quite a feat. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but it's also just a really bad division. But, oh, it is. Um, yeah. And who will their best win, Ben, if they do win it? Rutgers? Purdue. <laughs> Purdue's not any good. Um well, they played well. Oh, you! I'm, I'm talking about like who's the best team they beat. Oh, well, yeah, there's not very many good ones in there. Maybe it'll end up being Minnesota and Nebraska because those are two of the teams that are in the four-way tie. Maybe they can squeeze a couple wins out and, and look like a better team. Woof. Yep. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the, the Hayden Rucci thing is interesting. He was not on the injury report. He played one snap of special teams or at least that i that i saw he was on he's their one of their guys on the edge on the field goal he was in on the missed field goal and then was not out there um when they were on the field for the other two the extra point and the field goal or i should say the field goal and then the extra point in the second half he was not out there so um maybe there's an injury there that just uh flew under the radar but he usually plays more snaps than zero i believe if that's <laughs> uh I, I i'm gonna go on a limb and say that so let's say that that's accurate yeah yeah, that'll be an interesting one to watch maybe on on Saturday to see exactly where that is. Uh, two guys on defense. You mentioned Ricardo Holman, the other guy, Daryl Peterson. You wrote a story about those two. Um, they are very, very close. Uh, they, they're starting a podcast, I believe, as well. I know that uh, we talked to we had Daryl out for Kenny and Heilprint last year out at monks in some prairie and he was he was asking all about the podcast game and trying to get into it and they want to and i believe they're going to start it here at some point but those two guys one from florida one from ohio are as close as they uh one i think it was uh hunter wooler said yesterday they are closer than brothers yeah it's it's an interesting backstory because um those two guys so when i I had a chance to talk to each of their moms and ricardo's mom was pretty honest and said, I didn't want him to come to Wisconsin. And it wasn't a knock on the program, but that was way back when if everybody can remember when there were restrictions on visiting because of the pandemic. Rico never actually saw campus, just did virtual visits. The first time he comes to campus is move-in day. And Daryl Peterson ended up being his roommate because in the group chat for all the recruits, Daryl, I guess, knew that Hallman didn't have a roommate. Daryl didn't have a roommate. And so he would text. He kept texting Hallman about being roommates and Hallman's pretty quiet, laid back guy and rarely responded, but I guess he was willing to take a chance and they became roommates and they've been inseparable ever since. Actually, the day that I talked to them both a couple of weeks ago uh, on the field, they came up from the Camp Randall, the field in Camp Randall together because they've been running gassers together. They, they do everything together. Um, and I think that's allowed them. Obviously, they have a great bond. But when you've got a kid from Florida, a kid from Ohio, you come to campus, you don't know anybody, they've been able to lean on each other through a lot of hard times. We've talked quite often in the last year about Hallman and and him going from starting the first seven games to not even playing for a month. Daryl Peterson is the one who kept his spirits up and told him to, to, to keep his head up and stay consistent. 
And so they've helped each other in that way. They, they are both very involved in their faith. They go to church together every Sunday. They go to the Athletes in Action Bible study on Thursdays. And I actually learned a story that I had never heard before from talking to Hallman's mom. Apparently in ninth grade, he suffered a, a really serious head injury playing off on a traveling traveling flag football team and had to be airlifted to a hospital and had fluid on his brain. And doctors were saying he might never play football again and ended up that the, the injury cleared and he was able to thrive. But that was a traumatic event that really sparked his um, enthusiasm for um, his spirituality. And so they've they've bonded over that. But you're right. They are hilarious based on what everybody has to say about them. They've been talking forever about starting this podcast. It's about their friendship, being Division One athletes, and hopefully some deeper topics as well, which is why they want to call it The Dive. And I think it's been good for them because they are stalwarts on the defense this year. I mentioned before, Hallman has five interceptions, and which leads the team, leads the Big Ten, and Peterson leads the team in tackles for loss and sacks. So they're, they're people that teammates want to be around. There's kind of a spirit about those two. They play off each other really well. And guys that you can expect to see on the field as long as they're healthy for the foreseeable future. So I think it's a it's a good good story and uh, for those two guys and, and what they've been able to accomplish so far. It is. I I uh, appreciate appreciate both of their their personalities, and I I think really just the thing that sticks out about Ricardo is his. I didn't know that story that you just told. So uh, his, you know, getting beat by. Um, uh, uh, Jalen Reed last year for a winning touchdown is, is far from the toughest thing he's been through apparently. So um, he's, he's obviously, and, and that's, that's life for a lot of these guys that don't grow up necessarily in, in the easiest situations, but he uh, having to be airlifted and maybe not play football ever again. And for him to come back and, and obviously be a D one athlete and exceeding and or succeeding the way that he is very, very impressive. Very, very impressive. Um, you also wrote a story on Will Pauling this week. Did you learn anything more? about Will Pauling that that maybe we don't know? I think the premise of the story was basically go back to January when Wisconsin had the 13 new scholarship transfers and all the excitement that it was generated. And, and where did any of us, where, where did the reader, where did you or I have Will Pauling on that list? Near the bottom. I mean, he wasn't talked about at all because they had Bryson Green, CJ Williams, Jake Renfro, Joe Huber on the offensive line. Darian Varner had all this excitement because he was a first team all-conference player. Jason Matriot started 30 games at corner for Boston College. Nathaniel Vakos, three four-star quarterbacks. Like, he wasn't in the conversation at all. And yet now he is the go-to playmaker for Wisconsin's offense. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just perhaps how he's been a little bit overlooked. Out of high school, he was a number 163 wide receiver. So it, you just need to be in the right system and you need to work your butt off. And those two together have led him to be the go-to guy. And he has been. And it's, I, again, I think we did a draft. It, it wasn't on the show. I think we did it on Kenny and Heilpern. We did a draft of the, the top 10 uh, transfers. And there was only like 13 at the time, right? So mm -hmm. you, you figure at some point, some, you know, everyone, everyone but three is going to get taken. He was one of the ones that did not get taken. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like Tanner Mordecai, Jake Renfro, mm -hmm. Nathaniel Vakos, and Darian Varner. And, Jason Matry and all the guys that, uh, you know what, have come, I mean, not all of them, obviously, uh, with Jake Renfro and, and Darian Varner may not, maybe not playing uh, as big roles as we thought they would, but all the other guys, you know, playing, I think Nick Evers even got taken 
uh, before. I'm sure he did. So um, Will Pollen, I think, was like 11 or 12 or 13. No, no one was expecting what we saw to him in, in spring and without him. My goodness. Like, it's it's kind of like the, the idea that, gosh, if they had just stopped at Nick Evers, <laughs> what would this quarterback room have looked like? And instead, they go and get uh, Tanner Mordecai. And you're like, all right, well, you Tanner Mordecai is your guy, you know, uh, and you have Nick Evers as your backup. And then they go and add Brayden Locke. And now Brayden Locke is your starting quarterback and, and looks looks like he's got a chance to be the future of that position. That's why you can never discount the importance of adding depth at these positions, even if to the fan base, it doesn't seem all that exciting. What they wanted at wide receiver was 12 scholarship players because they wanted to play six in a perfect world. And so they went and got Pauling and Quincy Burroughs. And to your point about the top 13, I bet Pauling would have been 12 out of those thir- out of those 13, because the top 10 were all the guys that I just mentioned with the the three quarterbacks, the other two wide receivers, the two offensive linemen who had starting experience, Darian Varner, Jason Matry, Nathaniel Vakos. And the 11th might've been Jeff Petrowski because a couple of years ago, he had five and a half sacks for Michigan state. So he had proven himself. I think he would have gone Pauling 12 and Quincy Burroughs 13, largely because you had not seen very much of them. And that just goes to show you what, rankings matter once you get on the field it, it changes everything he Pauling overtook Skylar Bell for the top slot receiver role and he has never looked back he hasn't now I, I think the other so Will Pauling is great what do they do with Skylar Bell because in the second half or I should not even say the second half the, the end of that game after a couple of drops they put Vinny Anthony in there do they just do they throw Skylar Bell back out there on on Saturday or do they give somebody else a shot I believe they'll keep going with Bell um, because he's capable of making the plays. It's just those drops have been problematic. We referenced it on the previous show. Pro Football Focus lists him with, I believe, six drops, four in the last two games. You can't have that. And so they have the option, at least, which is a good thing for the program of of Vinny Anthony. But Skyler has made some plays. He has experience. I think we will still see him at this point. It's difficult, though, because... You have other guys that maybe have earned chances, whether it is a Vinny Anthony, maybe it's a Tresh Kekahuna, that have earned opportunities. And if a guy, again, he had huge catches against Illinois, obviously the huge catch against Illinois over the shoulder that was, I thought was going to kind of energize him and, and give, and he talked about it after the game, like the confidence that he gained from it. And I thought that was going to, you know, take him on a different level and make him the, the player that I think he can be. And then he came back and, and had just, two crucial drops, especially the one that was still 17 to 10. Uh, again, he may not have gotten the first down on that little, on the little uh, out, but it would have been fourth and one at the minimum. And he drops it and they have to, they have to punt the ball away. And um, you know, the next time they got it back, it was, it was, uh, it was a 14 point deficit. So those are that, that is difficult. I think to, to look at if you're Phil Longo, if other guys are, uh, going to make plays for you, or at least give them an opportunity to make plays. We'll see how that that plays out on Saturday against Indiana. But um, a couple of one Big Ten thing, Brian Ferentz, <laughs> he is out. He is out. He didn't even get an opportunity for the drive for the tw- for, for three twenty five. It is kind of funny. I saw a tweet. I think it may have been from someone a writer at on three that if all the Big Ten West teams were held to the same standard as Brian Ferentz scoring twenty five points a game, all of them would have been fired, or all of them would not have met that uh, Wisconsin, I think is the highest scoring big 10 West team at 24 point. I think it's eight points per game, but Brian friends out at the end of the year. I'm not sure if Kirk Ferentz is going to be like, 
Yeah, I still want to be here. Yeah. I could see I could see him walking around, walking away. Now he'd be walking away from a lot of money, which maybe isn't necessarily something he would want to do. I think he's under contract through 2029. But could this be the end of the Ferenc era at Iowa? Well, it's hard to speculate on what Kirk Ferentz is going to end up doing, but um, I, our, my colleague Scott Doctorman, who covers Iowa, has covered this story wall to wall, um, and I thought it was interesting in his his story off Kirk's media availability on Tuesday, just how uncomfortable he was and having this kinds of kind of conversation in the middle of the season. Now, typically, he likes to make changes at the end of the year, and frankly, since 1999, and it's he's basically had his way with the decisions that are to be made. I, I certainly give interim athletics director, Beth gets some credit for making this move now because the transfer portal is going to be here in no time. You can get a head start on potentially looking for somebody else, even if it isn't the best situation for the program right now, much like the firing of Paul Christ in October. Well, it's a terrible spot for the players to be in, but you end up with Luke fickle and potentially put yourself in a better position for the future yeah, you could say that the other coordinators, if they didn't average 25 points, would be in trouble. But Iowa was terrible last year offensively and somehow got worse this year. They're averaging 19.5 points per game. They have five offensive touchdowns in five Big Ten games. Obviously, you lose your quarterback. That doesn't help, but it's not like they were lighting the world on fire before then. So to me, this felt inevitable. If it wasn't going to be this week, then it would have been two months from now. And, and while maybe that would have been a better situation for the head coach or the players, it's not necessarily a better situation for the program. So you make the change now and, and he's staying on. I think we should, you know, make that clear through the end of the season, but at least everybody knows where things stand. They do. I don't making this move now. Like, it's not like you're going to go out. This isn't like a head coaching job, right? It's not like you're going to, like you're going to go out and start looking for a guy right away. Are you, I mean, I, or are you? No, uh, I don't. Cause, I certainly. Cause, if Kirk Ferentz is making this, this is, decision, no. W- which it is now. It's his decision. Like unless he's right. going to go and hire his son, who just I think retired from the NFL, like as his offensive coordinator, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, he's not going to. He's get. He actually gets to make the decision on this one. He didn't get to make the decision on the overseeing of uh, Brian Ferentz because uh, I think there's nepotism laws there in Iowa that don't allow it to happen, and so this. But he he was under the. Um, the AD had the ability to, uh, you know, fire him. That was the same thing when it was uh, the previous AD as well, but you're not going to go out and hire a guy now. So again, I, I understand why she wanted to do it, get out in front of it. People were, you know, pitchforks and everything like that, but I don't know the value of doing it right now, other than to say, this is just, this is the way it's going to be going forward. Yeah. I can understand that perspective too. It's look, the former athletic director who is, retired since then Gary Barda is the one who oversaw Brian Ferentz due to those nepotism laws but also put in place this ridiculous averaging 25 points thing in the first place which is just it's unfortunate for Iowa in general to to make that a a storyline or or even put that into place because what it did was it completely overshadowed anything that Iowa would do this season um by having this whole drive for 325 I don't know. I mean, I see both sides, but I, I can't blame Beth Getz for getting out in front of this. And at least, look, you've got a fan base over there that is extremely passionate about its football program, just like Wisconsin fans are. 
they've had those pitchforks out for a long time and they felt like, God, this offense is horrible. Nothing is changing. And at least it is a sign to the fans and potential donors that what is happening is not acceptable. And we are going to make a change, even if we don't know what that change is going to be at this point. I guess it is also important to make sure that they don't all of a sudden get good. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if they got good here down the stretch, offensively and they scored 30 some odd points a game in the final four games. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well we can't fire him now. This kind of makes it. So you, uh, there's no chance of that happening. I kind of do want them to catch fire and score 30 something points a game at this point. Um, cause well. I just think it, just cause I think it would be funny now. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be funny. I, I, uh, look, I'm not going to bet the house on it, but Deacon Hill right now is completing. He's a starting big 10 quarterback. I want to make that clear. He's completing 37.8% of his passes, which is preposterous. Uh, and yet, hey, Iowa 6-2 and two and has a chance to win the West, which may God help us all if, if they have to go to the Big Ten Championship game. But you can say that about any team out of the West. Yeah, I mean, what's Braden Locke completing, like 49%? Hmm, let's have a look. Not 37%. No. Where are we at here? 49.5%. Yeah. So that is that is true. Uh I take my chances with Locke though. Over you Hill would. at this point. Oh, over Hill. I would. Okay. I think that's I think that's totally fair. Uh they are both sporting uh ratings uh under a hundred. <laughs> I think I think Deacon Hill is at uh what is it? He's at his rating is 75 right now. Uh Braden Locks is 97 and a half. Deacon Hill's QBR is 8.4. Uh, that's 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 impressive. Uh, Brain locks much higher than that, 51.9. So um, those that that trying to give you a little bit of idea of like how often I, I believe that is how often you should win a game if your quarterback plays that way. Uh, the, the percent chances that you have to win a game. So Iowa should be winning in eight percent of the time when um, Deacon Hill is is playing the way he is. That's not great. It's not great. And you went out for Halloween yesterday, right? You went uh, trick or treating with the kids. Absolutely. With your kid and what what did you what did he dress as? We both went as firefighters. My wife oh, went nice. as fire. So, you know, we had to stay <laughs> on a theme. I got stayed it. In, stayed out for about 40 minutes. It was cold. He's three, but we made a lot of progress because last year we made it about two houses and he got scared of all the decorations. So it's <laughs> uh it's baby steps. That is baby steps. Uh, the reason I asked the question is because there were a lot of people out dressed as Connor Stallion, um, who obviously is in the in the midst of, or I should say, in the middle of this investigation into Michigan. I don't know what the next thing is going to be. I mean, we have the the pictures from the sideline of him at the Central Michigan game. They're trying to confirm whether that was him or not. And then I saw a picture, and I don't know if it was true or not. So I'm just, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways because I I'm not covering the story, but. There was there was a picture of uh, like a little blue light at the top of his glasses on the top right, and then pictures of like these Ray Bans that have the ability to record video um, on those with those glasses. And why is he wearing glasses in a night game as well? There's there's there was some there's some shadiness going on all around that. Again, I have no idea if that's true. I, I saw it on Twitter, so it probably wasn't. But I, I I'm wondering what the like the next thing is go, that's going to happen in this story. It just feels like one thing after another topping topping uh the previous story it's crazy i feel like the next big bombshell would be it going up the chain jim harbaugh being linked and then 
him not being the coach next year. But who knows? They're still winning games, even if they're somehow number three in the college football playoff ranking, much to the chagrin of Wolverines fans. Uh, as, op- as opposed to who? Who are they beating? What's their best win? Their best win is Rutgers I, right now, isn't it? I mean, you can make the argument it's Rutgers, Nebraska, or Minnesota. Oh, what I don't are, disagree. I what think are it's Ohio, more Ohio State's number one, and Michigan fans will be furious, even though Ohio State has two of the best wins with the Penn State and Notre Dame. And another top 30 win in with, uh, well, top 30 in the idea of uh, SP plus, not uh, <laughs> not in the rankings, but uh, Wisconsin's a top 30 team in, in SP plus. So that's it. Those are those are three really good wins. Those are three wins better than anything Michigan has. I just um, hope they make a movie about this down the road. <laughs> well, I want to know a... who would play who would play Connor Stallion and who would play Jim Harbaugh. That's well, they're going to have and they're going to have all this real footage to use, too. That's so. true. Right. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, again, we'll be out at Monks and Sun Prairie tomorrow night, six to seven for Temple and Heilprin. Stop out. If you can't stop out, find the podcast wherever you are. Make sure to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast from. We would appreciate it. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Can.